Hello and welcome to the Raising Athletes podcast. My name is Kirsten Jones. I'm a peak performance and sports parenting coach. Susie and I started this podcast, hashtag Raising Athletes, about four years ago because we felt a need for helping parents, myself included, and grandparents uh, who are raising athletes to help our kids release their limitations and lean into who they really want to be. I'm so excited to have this guest on today. We've known each other for almost two years now, and he's been a huge inspiration and, le and leader in my own son's life. So it's fun to have Damon Powell on today. Welcome, Coach. Excited to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here. So we met two years ago, as I said, he came, you came to Loyola uh, during my son Parker's senior year, and we instantly connected and started talking about kind of our missions in life. And I feel like we're both kind of similarly wired in that you do what you do because you love helping others. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to the position that you're in now? Um, you know, uh, I think it all started uh, well, how far you want me to go back? Start, start at the beginning. Let, I think you have such a fascinating, yeah. and, and right. again, as we're raising young kids, I think we all think it's a straight line. Like you just decide that you're going to play in high school, then you decide you want to play in college and it's easy and it's straightforward. But I know your path wasn't one, a straightforward one at all, right? Yeah, you know, I, I grew up in Compton. Uh, to a single uh, single family. My mom raised me and my brother and uh, to take care of us, she had like three jobs. And so we spent a lot of time by ourselves. I was a definition of a latchkey kid, caught two buses to and from school. And so with that free time, it was a lot of temptation to get in uh, trouble. My brother ended up becoming a drug dealer, a uh, ganger. He was spent most of his adult life in and out of prison. And I saw the trouble he was getting into. And I want to do something positive with my life to maybe make it out. And so I chose basketball. And I put all my life, my resources, my time, my dedication into being the best basketball player that I could be. Because I saw the kind of pain my mom went through dealing with my older brother. And I wanted her to have some kind of joy from one of her kids, you know, and not just going back and forth to jail and lawyers and, and all that kind of stuff and police. And uh, so I was very, very driven to be great, at least as great as I could be. Um, and when you're raised the way we were raised, where the dad's gone and the mom is gone because she's working, you know, me and my brother were both driven the same way. We wanted to be somebody. He wanted to be somebody in the street world. I wanted to be somebody in mainstream society via basketball. And so I spent all my time on school and basketball, and I was very, very driven. I wasn't into girls. I wasn't into partying. Um, I wasn't into watching TV. You know, I spent more hours than anybody that I knew. And uh, that allowed me to have some success growing up. I was always one of the better players in my youth. And then when I got to high school, eventually by my junior year, I started to have some success. I went to high school at St. Anthony's in Long Beach. And uh, my senior year, I had a great year. And 
you know, I was all everything, all region, all press telegram, uh, all CIF, all these great accolades, and nobody recruited me. Hmm. Not Division One, not Division Two, not NAI, not Division Three. And with the experience of being an adult now, do you know why you didn't get recruited then? You know, looking back, I do. Uh, when I at St. Anthony's, my best friend was also a guard. Now we both were point guards, okay. but I was the much better shooter. So the coach kind of had me play off guard. And so my best friend kind of handled the ball more because he couldn't shoot that. Ball. And I was a shooter. So they had me highlighting that. But people, if you came to the game, you thought I was just an off guard, a six, one off guard. Mm-hmm. And that's not a big market for that at the division one level. And so I never really showcased all of my point guard skills. I was more of a scorer and he handled the ball more. And he ended up getting a scholarship to Texas A&M. Uh, so, but for me, you know, a six, one off guard, eh, not a big market for that. So what did you do when you didn't get recruited? So my mom was a professor at Long Beach city college in computer science. I was familiar with the campus because I'd been up there since I was a kid sitting in her office. And so I just walked on there and, uh, our first year we went 27 and three and I had a lot of accolades. And by my sophomore year, I had like 50 offers and I ended up choosing USC. And then how did it go at SC? You know, it didn't go as well as I wanted, you know, the journey never ends, you know, the struggle. So I was a backup most of my junior year, Uh, my senior year. I started some games, some games I came off the bench and, uh, that's kind of how it ended. You know, I was a backup. Most of my career started half the games my senior year. Would you change anything if you could go back and change it? I wouldn't change a thing. You know, I love USC. I'm a Trojan through and through. You know, I have two degrees from USC. I have a master's there also in history. Because you was, stayed to be a got, grad assistant, that's right, one year? or Uh-huh. Well, actually, I got lucky. Uh, the history department wanted more diversity in the, in the graduate program. So they recruited me um, to go to grad school for free. I got a scholarship from the department. Wow. And what happened was when the, when the basketball coaches saw I was still on campus going to school, they invited me to, to come back and be the, the grad assistant coach. Wow. And then when you were done with your grad degree, then what, where did you pivot to? When I was done with that, I, I start, I kept coaching at US. I moved up over the years. I started my first year as a grad assistant. The very next year, they moved me up to the fourth assistant. My third year, they moved me up to the third assistant. So I moved up pretty fast. Uh, the head coach was giving me a lot of responsibility. I think he saw some talent in me. And, uh, you know, I was doing scout reports for UCLA Arizona at the time, Cincinnati was the number one team in the country. So he was giving me a lot of responsibility and I rose up pretty fast. And then you decided you wanted to take a swing at being a head coach yourself. Yeah. You know, um, after three years, I just felt like it was time for a change. I had been at USC for a long time as a player and a coach. And I had a yearning desire to go back and really impact lives like people like I grew up. Mm-hmm. 
And I knew I can affect that more from the head coaching position. So uh, I left and I took the head job at Compton College. And uh, I was 23 years old and I was a head coach and a history professor at the college level. Wow. And, you know, it was something out of a movies. My first year there, we had a bunch of gangbangers. You know, we had a guy fresh out of prison for murder on the team. Uh, just a cast of characters. And I said, what did I get myself into? I just left USC. I had my own office, company car. You know, it's like Disneyland up there. <laughs> and I went to Compton College. They, like, cleared out a, a closet. You know, a closet they keep the mops at and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> and a bucket <laughs> they cleared that out and put a desk in there and no, that was my office no windows <laughs> no window no nothing my first week there there was a huge gang fight on the basketball court wow and it was just like man did i make the right decision and uh as it turned out that first year we won a national championship oh wow well, yeah it was like a, a something out of a disney movie and uh of that team, we had seven guys get a Division One scholarship. Wow. Yeah, it was something special. Are you in touch with any of those players still? I talk to them all the time. Yeah. Uh, one guy played in the NBA. He went to Colorado, got drafted by the Pacers. One guy went to UC Santa Barbara. Uh, one guy went to Fresno State. And I talked to all of them. We're really, really close because we, we share that bond. And these were all street guys, like real street guys. Wow. So the fact that they made the transition from the streets to mainstream society, to getting married, having jobs, and having a great life. I mean, we have a bond that'll never be broke. We're all really close. Yeah, you kind of grew up with them, right? I mean, you're only a couple grew, years yeah. yeah, older than them. You know, when we were going to a game. They wouldn't even know who the head coach was because I look just like them. Right. At 23, I still look kind of young. I used to. Let me say that. No, you still do. So you got it. Uh, You're good. Uh, <laughs> so when we go on road trips, they we nobody knew who the head coach was because we all looked alike, you know? Yeah. And then how long and, were you uh, at You know, Compton? sad part, I was there uh, six years. Oh, wow. And we won two national championships, went to the final four four times. And then Cal State Dominguez came after me and offered me a job. And I went from junior college to the four year, which is a division two school. Mm -hmm. And then you were there for a long and time. I was there for 10 years. And uh, we had a good, a good run. We won the conference three times in 10 years. I think the school's only won uh, four times in the history. And, uh, you know, life is going good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, our, our president left. A new president comes in, fires all of our vice presidents. Oh, wow. The new vice president comes in, gets rid of the AD, gets rid of 10 coaches, just didn't renew our contract. And my life was, uh, you know... In a struggle because I'm thinking all I've ever known at, up to that point was just success, and uh, that was like my first real trying time in adversity as a coach. Yeah, but I'm sure you drew on your experience of growing up 
and overcoming adversity, you know, which again is the parallel that we talk about with the parents, right? Like when your kid doesn't make the, the freshman team or the JV team or the varsity team, or is the player that comes off the bench, like these are, and, and okay, maybe it's not life-threatening, but it's still threatening to us as parents wanting our kids to be happy. And that stress and anxiety of helping them figure it out is hard. And I'm sure, you know, as you've gone through these different challenges, you tap back into that time when nobody recruited you when you were, you know, one of the best players on a CIF championship team, right? No doubt about it. And I, I went right back to how the challenges I had to grow, overcome as a basketball player. And I just start applying for places, calling all my contacts. Uh, I threw a pity party for about a week, <laughs> you know, because here I am thinking I'm in the Hall of Fame in Compton, I'm in the Hall of Fame of Long Beach, and I'm unemployed. <laughs> you know, like, how does that happen? Woe is me. Yeah. Woe is me. <laughs> yeah. So after I got done throwing a pity party, uh, I realized that I was going to have to work hard, humble myself, put my head down, and, and find a job. And whatever job that is, make it the best it can possibly be and give my best to the kids that I'm going to coach. And so I end up uh, getting a job at a little high school called St. Paul. It's in the Whittier area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a big drop off for me and my ego. You know, I went from being this famed coach. And then when they introduced me to the team, when I got hired at a press conference, the players came up and, and all said, hi, and I was the tallest one in the whole program. <laughs> Six <laughs> one. I said, man, what? Yeah. <laughs> what did I get myself into? I asked the guys, I said, where's the varsity team? Oh, no. They said, we're the varsity. <laughs> I love it. I was the tallest one. <laughs> and uh, I was really, I was like, man, you know, I called one of my good friends who's my assistant coach now, Coach Mayfield. And said, Coach, you know, I don't know. You know, these guys are all 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, None of them can barely touch the backboard. And he said, Coach, God put you here. It's not a mistake. And I want you to give these kids your all. Mm. You know, yeah. a lot of parents have been praying for the coach. And you, you make sure you give them the best of Coach Powell. And so I went in there and I, I gave it my best like I was coaching for the Super Bowl. And we went, I think the year before I got there, they won one game. And that year we won like 17 and we missed winning the conference by one point in overtime wow. in the last game of the year. And uh, I just never forget that first year. We went to the playoffs when we played against uh, Aaron Holiday, Drew Holiday's little yeah. brother that's in the NBA. Uh, Campbell Hall, and they, they mercied us. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> yeah. And I, I, was, I was new to high school, uh, so I didn't know the mercy rules. So they was running the clock, and I'm yelling at their ass like, hey, they're not stopping the clock. <laughs> you know, we're going to come back from 40. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Don't count me out yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, the ref, and the ref said, he like came by and whispered like, hey, coach, in high school, when you get down by 40, they just run the clock. 
So I said, oh, man. So, but you're right. It, it, it took me to humble myself, um, refocus on why I started coaching. It wasn't for the fame. It wasn't for the championships, the Hall of Fame. I, I coached because I loved it. I love helping people. I love the impact that I can have on people, the camaraderie we can share. And even though I was coaching a bunch of five, nine guys, I gave them my best. And it was a great year for me, great year for the, the school. And, uh, you know, two years later, we were in a CIF championship. Wow. Yeah. That's quite a swing. So when you think about the best athletes, and I'm not talking about the ones that, okay, ultimately ended up at the NBA, so obviously had a ton of natural, God-given gifts, but just the most, like, the ones that stick out for you that you've coached over the years at whatever level, what are the characteristics that those athletes possess? What makes them coach? You know, the best ones all have the same things in common. They have... a. Uh, irrational confidence about themselves no matter what's going on who we're playing uh the circumstances they have an unwavering confidence in themselves and uh i wish i would have had that talent because that's mm -hmm. something i struggle with mm -hmm. you know yeah. growing up i had low self-esteem because of the way i was raised in compton and so me trying to prove I was somebody, I worked really hard. It, it fueled me to get to USC. Mm -hmm. But once I got to SC, it worked against me because I was so worried about what the LA Times thought, ESPN thought. I couldn't play to my potential because I was so worried about outside voices mm -hmm. in the public, in the newspaper. But my best players, the one or two that I'm thinking about, they don't care what other people think. They don't care what the coaches think. They don't care what the fans think. They have a belief in themselves and it drives them and it allows them to perform at a high level. And are they the hardest workers in the gym or are they the ones that just have a lot of athletic talent so they can just show up? No, these guys are hard workers. You know, these guys put in more hours than anybody else. Um, and that's where their confidence comes from. When you put in hour after hour after hour, it builds your confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, if I take 10 threes, I'm going to make seven because I've done it every day in practice. So it's those hours that they put in that allows them to have that self-belief and confidence that's rare. I just read a great book called The Confident Mind, and it was written by the uh, sports psychologist at West Point. And he, when he was doing his PhD at University of Virginia, they, they brought all the best athletes from UVA and, and they were interviewing all of them. And, you know, this, this one won this competition and this one won this. But the one that they focused on the most was that he was a football player, but he told the story about when he was in high school playing basketball and he was a 50% shooter from the field. But in this particular state championship game, he was 0 for, 0 for 8 and just couldn't hit the broad side of the barn. And they pull it, they, the, the team managed to stay in the game. And it's like the last 10 seconds are on the clock and the coach calls a timeout and the coach is drawing up the play for the other player who was shooting the ball well. And the kid goes, give it to me, draw it up for me. And the coach says, why would we draw it up for you? You're 0 for 8. 
He said, but I'm a 50% shooter. I'm going to hit it. I am due. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, so he said, we drew, he, they drew it up for me. I hit it. And we went, you know, we, he, they carried me out on their shoulders. I was one for nine that day, but I knew before the ball, before the ball left my hands, it was going in the basket. They said, well, that's funny. So what happens when you are shooting? Well, are you thinking, uh Oh, it's not going to go well because I've already shot. He's like, no, now I think, Oh, you can't stop me. I've been shooting. Never miss. I'll, I'll never miss. Right. So it's exactly the, the confidence that you're talking about, which I always say competence builds confidence. So the more reps you have, the more experience you have, the more chances you take that you're willing to lean into that discomfort, which when I talk to these athletes a lot, you know, you look at them on the sidelines and you see deer in the headlights, like, please don't pass me the ball. And to find a kid who's like, give it to me, I'm due. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great story. <laughs> I have a story that relates to that. Our captain, when I was at USC, was a guy named Roddy Chapman. And he wasn't that fast, wasn't that athletic, couldn't even handle the ball that well. But he had had all these great games before I even got there. He was a great leader. And I, we would always laugh because his game wasn't that good. But he would get 20 points a night and hit all these clutch shots because he was just so confident. I remember we were playing Minnesota one time, and it was the last play of the game. Very similar to your story. And the coach, at the time, I looked him in the eye and said, Rodney, if I give you the ball, can you take this guy? And he looked at the coach, and he was offended by the question. <laughs> he said, Coach, this is me. This is me. You're talking to me. Of course. Of course. Give me the ball. Yeah. You know, he was like offended at the question. Yeah. And they gave him the ball. He played it. He was going against a much better athlete. He found a way, scored, and we won the game. But I just remember his confidence. Not that he knew he could score. He was offended <laughs> that the coach had to ask him, could he beat him? Yeah. So what advice do you have for parents who are raising a kid who may have been more like you and me, who questioned their ability? What, what, do, you tell, what do you tell your kid who doesn't have a ton of confidence? How do you help them with that? Well, it all starts with putting in the work. There's no way around that. You can read all the books. You can listen to all the podcasts, uh, all the tapes. You know, when I was a high school kid, I ordered some tapes from Tony Robbins just to help with my, my uh, mental preparation and visualization and self-sabotage. All these things kids deal with that go unspoken. But the first and the biggest component is you have to put in the work. And once you put in the work, your confidence will naturally grow. And from there, I would tell parents just to continually infuse confidence in their kids. Don't yell at them. Don't get mad at them after a game. Don't judge them by results. Judge them by, did they have the courage to take the shot? Did they have the courage to take the risk? Did they, did they play their hardest? Because if they're putting in the time and a parent can continually install confidence, the, the results will come and, and the performance will be there. Yeah, one of my favorite players from when Parker played for you was Matthias Wagner, who 
isn't the tallest guy on the floor. In fact, not the most athletic, knew he wasn't going to go on and play in college. But not only was he the hardest worker from my perspective, but he had the best attitude. And I'll never forget junior year. I don't remember who they played, but we were carpooling. And in the way home, Matias hadn't even touched the floor. Parker had a horrible game, so was sitting in the fetal position. And Matias was sitting there pumping up Parker. Dude, you you gave it all you had. No worries. You, <laughs> you, you really tried. <laughs> it was just those kids who are... You know, and P.S., he's now at Indiana University killing it. And he's just, you know, he's he's and I said, Parker, you got to keep me keep that relationship alive. You're going to need a job someday. And he's going to be the one that you're, you're going to want to work for because of his growth mindset, you know, six feet tall and was dunking because he willed himself into that position of saying, I'm going to go for it. And, you know, doesn't matter my size, doesn't matter my natural ability. So much of it came from within. A kid like that is one of my favorite players. I still talk to Matias. Um, he ended up starting by the end of the year. He took the game winner against Modern Day. That's right. And uh, he would take on any challenge. And uh, I just wish kids like that, I could have coached them along with uh, Parker for more than one year because it went by so fast. These were all special guys. and uh, But I was really happy how his senior year turned out and how, how well he played especially against uh, the big boys as the season got into the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. No, so fun. Okay. So flash forward after um, you were coaching high school and you now have two sons as well, right? So as a, as a dad, has being a dad changed how you coach? Uh, not really. Okay. Because I've always been a coach to infuse confidence in my players. I see so many coaches sabotage their own players by yelling at them, screaming at them, yanking them out the game, and sabotaging their confidence. So I've always been a guy who knows to get the most out of your players, you got to give them confidence. So I'm like that with my kids. And all this knowledge, all the books I've read, I still fall into the trap of being a dad. And I, I used to yell at them sometimes when I didn't feel like they were giving an effort. And so, but that was back when they were fifth grade, sixth grade. Now I never yell at my kids uh, about sports. Uh, if I'm mad, I won't say anything, <laughs> you know, but I'm always encouraging, 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 because I want their confidence to be at an all time high, no matter what the circumstance. And so whether they play good or bad, I pump them up because did you have the courage? Did you? Did you take risks? You know, uh, did you play your hardest? And uh, so I'm never yelling at them. I'm always encouraging them. Uh, I'll wait for them to ask me questions before I give them constructive criticism. Because if they don't ask, then I won't say anything. I'll just be a dad. But usually at some point later that night or the next day, they'll say, hey, dad, what do you think about this? Could I have done that? So number one, I never yell at them. I'm always encouraging. I'm always trying to pump them up as get their confidence irrationally high. Even if it's not true, I want them to think they're the best player on the floor at all times. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we put the time in. So it's real. It's not, we're just not talking and visualizing like the work is being put in. So 
um, they can feel like I'm the best player and, uh, and just try not to destroy their confidence. We like to say here for parents, the, the only six word your kid needs to hear you say after a game is what words are, I love to watch you play. Yep, that's, I, that's, that's the it. line I use all the time. Right. I read that in a book somewhere. Yeah, and you, know? and you say that, and then the next day, hey, you want to chat about it? No, I'm yeah. good. No, yeah. okay, <laughs> yeah. right. right? Can we get ice cream? Sure. Yeah, right? sure. Like, yep. they've yep. moved on long before we have, usually. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. I'm mad two days later. <laughs> they're they're over it by the time you get to the car. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and separating ourselves from our kids, this is not our experience. This is their experience and allowing them to go through the feels and the ups and downs of, you know, two days later, gosh, I, I don't know why my shot wasn't dropping. Oh, you want to go work on it? Okay. Right. Let's go do that. Yeah. yeah so yeah, allowing totally. them to be the the leader in how they how they grow is is a really good one. I, I, I want my kids to be better than me because my oldest son has more tendencies like me. He really wants my approval. He really wants the approval of the public. And I really think that's a false setup, a false trap to be your best. If that's your motivation mm. to perform, if you're thinking about outside approval in the middle of a performance. So my oldest son, I'm always telling him, like you said, don't keep looking at me after makes or miss or turnovers. I love you already. I think you're amazing. If you took the risk, if you took the shot, I'm going to love you no matter what. So just go play. You know, don't look at me for approval. And my youngest son is just the opposite. He'll play a game and never look at me. I'll be calling his name, trying to get his attention for something. But he doesn't look at me. He's not seeking my approval like the uh, oldest son. So I'm trying to make sure, get him out of that. Because sports, you can't reach your peak if you're worried about gaining the approval of your parents or the coach or the public. My best players that you asked about, they don't care what the coach thinks. Mm -hmm. They don't care what their teammates think. You know, they're going to play their game and they're going to play it a certain way and let the chips fall where they may. I like to say we don't want you to be the best. We want you to do your best. Right? Yes, so yes. that's all you have control over. And if you're focused about, well, so-and-so does this and so-and-so does that, we all have different talents. But if you go out there and give your best, that's all we can ask of you in, in life, right? Not just on the court, but off the court as well. And if you do you're a that, champion. Yeah. You're a champion. If you give your best, you're a champion. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this is so wonderful to talk to you and hear the, your insights and what it, what's happening over at Loyola. You guys are getting ready for summer, spring, spring season, right? Yes. Yes. You know, it never stops high school. <laughs> and we have a very extensive summer. We're going back out to Phoenix for Section 7. Which you did you very know, well at last year, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we made it to the main court, the championship. Uh, it was about 300 coaches watching us play. Amazing. And uh, so we're just gearing up for that the, the summer. And we got everybody back from last year. We won 16 games. We were like 16 and 13. We lost like five games at the buzzer. Wow. Um, so we got everybody back. And I'm, uh, I think we're going to have a real special year. Yay.
Well, we can't come to watch you play again. We're always going to be with you and supporting you and go Cubs. And you'll probably see a few Jones boys sniffing around your gym this morning, this summer, trying to, you know, get, get in and put up shots. So <laughs> anytime, anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. We'll, we'll see you soon. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Parents, if you're looking to get get better at doing this parenting thing, please feel free to share and like this and, and send this to other parents who are also doing the same thing. We love connecting with parents and hearing from athletes about what's working and what's not. And if there's topics you want us to bring on, please let us know. We're always looking for, for new opportunities to, to help us help ourselves. We'll see you soon.